I don't know about y'all, uh, but I am feeling a bit disoriented these days. Uh, it's odd because my disorientation is not coming from like living some sort of frenetic pace. It's coming from this like slow monotony of every day feeling kind of like the exact same day. And I've found that over these past few months, I, um, there are times when I feel like I'm just simply existing. Um, not that I'm not getting my things done, I am, but I just feel like I'm just floating along like I had a really bad Six Flags ride or something, you know, like <laughs> some sort of bad, real bad log ride or something where I'm just kind of floating around and every now and then some water will splash up on me and it'll kind of jolt me awake, but I will end up being lulled back to sleep really in the heaviness and the oppressiveness of the monotony. And I, I recognize that this reality in which I'm living in is probably a shared reality, right? There is not a lot to wake us up these days. We don't have the freedom to be um, kind of adventurous or practice spontaneity. We are kind of stuck in our spaces, uh, distance from one another, uh, anxious about gathering too quickly or going to too large a crowds or finding ourselves just in this rhythm of just being. And it is this sort of monotony, I think, that has stripped us of uh, this feeling that we're alive. Now, no doubt we are alive. I mean, we are alive. We're breathing. We're here. We're planted. Maybe we could even say we're grounded. But I'm not sure that we're really aware of it. And so this worship series is designed, um, and I'll be honest, we really struggled with trying to figure out what we need to do for the next several weeks. We're kind of stuck in between two spaces, this liminal space of being together, <laughs> but also wearing masks, and not all of us are here. And so it really created some tension on, like, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to make sense about this current reality? Not that it's our reality forever, but it is our reality right now. And so as we went through half a dozen iterations of this worship series, it seems, uh, the, the truth is I think we recognize we need to be really clear as a community about something that is both simultaneously really simple and profoundly important for our life right now. And so this is why we have a series called Grounded. And the subtitle says it all, recognizing everyday holiness. And that then acts as an invitation to all of us to wake up from the monotonous everyday stupor we may find ourselves in and recognize something really important, that holiness is indeed all around us. And that holy notion of God's presence, that truth that God simply is, that God is not done speaking or moving, inviting or changing, that truth that God is both the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the Monday morning and the Thursday afternoon and the dishes that still need to be done, and the pile of laundry that seems to just be staring at you, and God is still present in the daily commute, that, friends, is the peace that I think we need right here and right now as we move into this season of fall. 
we need some grounding. Now, there are plenty of sources out there, whether that's online or in the news, reading from, uh, from scientists or, uh, you know, would-be uh, epidemiologists who think they're epidemiologists on Facebook, right? There is a ton of information that is going to say, you can stand right here. <laughs> but the truth is, we know, information changes, <laughs> So as we try to find our footing in the changing landscape that we're living in, it's important for us as a people of faith to recognize one thing, that God remains faithful and we can indeed put both feet on that truth. That is the good news. That this idea of God being present, active, turning ordinary things into holy things this notion is not actually new. It's very ancient because we see it over and over again in Scripture. So this morning we're going to turn to the third chapter in Exodus. I'll be reading the first six verses. And you will know this story if you have been around the church for any period of time. It is a story we tell one another. It's a folk story we share with our kids. It's a story that is portrayed in Hollywood. And so here again, these familiar words of Moses and the encounter with the divine. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, when he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. And he looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed." Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer, the one who invites us to stand firm on the foundation that you have laid through your faithfulness and goodness and grace. May it be so. Amen. No doubt, it's hard to come into this Exodus story without our preconceived notions of who Moses is and what Moses does and really what Moses looks like. Charlton Heston kind of ruined Moses for us all, right? <laughs> it's hard to hear this story without seeing him portraying Moses or whatever kind of felt board we had in VBS, right? The Moses figure may be burned into our brains or 
God help us all if Moses still looks like a veggie tale for you. But the truth is we come to this story with a lot of preconceived notions, not only about the character of Moses, but how the story unfolds and what it says about not only humanity, but also God. And the challenge with these familiar texts is that they can limit our ability to hear and experience something new. And so I want to help us kind of shake out of that by not giving you the full story of Moses, but I want us to look back on who Moses was and what Moses was doing before this encounter with a burning bush. We know just a chapter earlier that Moses was doing his best to lose his Egyptian accent, right? Because that accent that had outed him when he first arrived in Midian. It was an accent worth uh, losing uh, first because he was an Egyptian. We remember well that Moses was put into a basket and sitting down the Nile, and he was taken from those treacherous waters and rescued and essentially grew up in the highest court in the Egyptian nation, right? He was a lucky child saved from these treacherous waters, and his accent masked his seemingly true identity, that he was a Hebrew child. It also provided a clue, just in case anyone came looking, uh, because this repressed identity of Moses really kind of created a brewing crisis that led him to kill an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. And so Moses is not only trying to rid himself of an accent because it's not really who he is, he's also trying to do it as a way to escape from Egyptian justice, right? The less people identify me as an Egyptian, the more likely it is that I will not be caught for the murder of an Egyptian slave owner. Most of us, I think, after doing something like that, would harbor some guilt, I imagine, or we would have some anxiety about always looking over our shoulder. And so the natural question is, did Moses see ghosts when he was making this move from Egypt into a foreign land? Did he understand what he had done? Was he tormented by what he had done? Did he have nightmares? The text actually doesn't give us any indication that Moses was really that concerned with it. All we really know is that he crosses over into Midian after walking the width of the desert. And today's text picks up with a Moses that has seemingly shaken his past. I spent some time in Alaska, and I regularly ran into people who were trying to shake their past. Most of the time, they really hadn't, right? But here in the text, Moses seems to have shaken his past, at least. He got married, went to work for his father-in-law, the family business, sheep. And he was now a perfectly ordinary Midianite shepherd on a perfect regular day doing a perfectly average thing with only the barest of Egyptian accents. This is indeed, I think, our own life at times, because after crisis or a needed fresh new start, we put our heads down and we focus on what we can control. We take whatever uh, 
tailwind we can find, whether it's at work or stuff in our families or medical news or loneliness or being in recovery or just simply surviving or dealing with our mental health, whenever we get that tailwind and we have a new path in front of us, we put our heads down and we simply take steps and narrow our focus, right? This is why I am so disoriented right now. Pandemic 2020-2021 has led me to really put my head down and be really conscious about each and every step. And in doing so, when we put our head down one foot in front of the other and just exist, we begin to get into this rhythm. And this seems to be what Moses is doing. And I think we've all felt this at some point in our life. Make whatever decision we have to, especially right now, get vaccinated, wear a mask, limit our risk, one foot in front of the other, just drive the fat sheep to market, right? That's all we have to do. Just take those sheep to market, put our head down. In many ways, this is our current reality. Unfortunately, when we get so focused on where we are stepping, we can actually forget not only where we are headed, but what the ground is like beneath the soles of our shoes. The great news, though, here is that Moses isn't left in this zombie-like state, a state that is birthed out of his need to merely survive. Moses' eyes stray for some reason. Moses looks up. But instead of stumbling as we often think we will when we're not solely focused on one step in front of the other. Instead of stumbling or, or taking a tumble, Moses' eyes catch something, and it leads him to his rebirth, this holy encounter in the oddest context ever. With everything to gain by staying the course and literally everything to lose, right? Moses' curiosity and bewilderment leads him to say to himself, I must, this is what the text says, right? I must turn aside and look at this great sight. Why is this bush not burned up? Great question, Moses. Why is that bush not burned up, right? It is simply that moment of curiosity that leads Moses into this encounter. We have, in fact, no idea how long that bush was actually burning. We have no idea how many times Moses walked past a burning bush. How many times did Moses walk by it? How long did it take him to see something divine, something holy in the midst of the everyday grind? We have no idea. But we do know that when Moses looked up and saw this incredible thing, he chose to deviate and go explore. His curiosity was piqued by God showing up in an odd place. It actually parallels pretty well, parallels pretty well with God's own curiosity being piqued. If you read the text in its f kind of full, uh, full chapters, like chapter 2 and chapter 3, what you will find is that God eventually, for some reason, hears the cry of God's own people. God's merciful curiosity is piqued, and it is God who then decides to act on behalf of God's Hebrew people toiling under the weight of oppression and death by the Egyptians. 
And so this notion may seem like a small footnote in the larger story of Exodus, right? The expansive social changing story of Moses and Pharaoh and the liberating work of God. But I believe that this idea of having our spiritual curiosity peaked is fundamental to us when we begin to recognize that we are in need of change. God's burning bush is set aside, right? It's not straight uh, in front of Moses. This divine encounter then requires something from us, a curiosity just strong enough to get us to look up and, like Moses, turn aside. Because before we can liberate, before we can liberate, we must begin to investigate. Before we set our eyes on social change and living our best life and doing what God calls us to do, we must begin to investigate the very small nook and crannies that exist in the midst of our lives because it is there, as we see in Exodus, it is there that God is moving and speaking and acting The encounter Moses has with a bizarre burning bush that can talk, I add, right, leads him to trust God and begin to trust his true self. He is instructed to remove his shoes, and thus God has Moses embody this divine reality, a new reality of being, of identity, of power and purpose. It is the beginning, the foundation that Moses needs to begin changing the world, all Moses really had to do was look up. That's all Moses had to do. And it was at that moment that Moses was invited to see the holy ground he was standing on, grounded in this new reality that the world can and the world will change. Why? Because that's how God works. So really, it's a very simple sermon, and I need to tell you this, White Rock. I need to say this to you. You are doing a great job. You are doing a really good job. I see you parents. I see you making the tough decisions and keeping your family healthy and safe. And I want you to know that you are doing a really, really good job. Seriously. And know that as serious as you are taking these familial steps right now in the midst of all that is going on, I want you to indeed trust the steps you are taking because you do know where you are going. And all I ask is look up from time to time. I see you seniors. I know how hard this has been and I see you keep showing up, not only for one another in this space, but those who call home a permanent space for them in the midst of this pandemic. I see you filling the gaps, calling and visiting and pastorally caring for one another from the two by two class to the harmony class to the seminar class. I see you. I see how hard this has been and I also see how great a job you're doing.
you are doing a great job, whether that's serving at Owenwood or caring for one another. I'm really proud to be your pastor. Just don't forget to look up <laughs> every once in a while. And I see you folks who grind it out at work to provide, to care for your family or pay college tuition, who take time to be intentional with how and where you spend your resources. I see you making really good decisions about life and work balance, visiting kids or even grandkids, serving and listening and trusting. You are doing a great job. But know that there is more than just the life we have. There is the life that we're called to. So don't forget to look up. And I see you kids. I know, or at least I assume, that this school year is not what you expected. I see you wearing masks and giving all you can to this school year. I know this year, new, this year isn't the easiest, and I just want you to know that I am so proud to be your pastor. Just remember this one thing, that being curious is like one of the best things ever. So every once in a while, look up over the screen and see what God is doing. We are indeed doing a great job, church. But living out our call and living into God's desire for us means we will need to do more than put one foot in front of the other. We must trust that there are indeed bushes burning all around us. And I hope together we will continue to find them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.